Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco. I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and of course, being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. So this episode is all about the new forest. One author I just love is Edward Rutherford. He writes these kind of sweeping epic novels set in different places. I first read his book, London, the novel, maybe 10 years ago. And then he had another one, Sarum, about the area around Salisbury. Um, and I kind of need to ration my reading of him because I just love him so much. Sort of like Haruki Murakami, like I read him and it, it's like chocolate and it, it's like, I can't have too much because then it, it goes away. I mean, there's only so many, right? So I, I have to ration my reading of Edward Rutherford. And I just finished his book on the history of the New Forest. And I'll add a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. It made me want to dig deeper into New Forest history, and specifically the history during the Tudor and Elizabethan period. But before we get started, your regular reminder about TudorCon. So I'm hosting a happy hour Q&A session about TudorCon next Friday, February 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So you, U.S. Eastern time, right? So you can hop on Zoom and ask me any questions you have about TudorCon, no matter how big or how small. Um, if you have questions about like what's included or who's going to be speaking or what the days are like or why you should come or anything like that, you can come. I will put the registration or the, the RSVP link in the show notes. Or if we're past February 24th, I will put the recording in the show notes too. So you can check that out. So if you have any questions about coming to TutorCon, you want to know more, um, you just want to get a vibe feel, like get a sense of it, come on and we will we will talk all about it. So let's shift gears into the new forest now. The New Forest is this beautiful area in the southern part of England. It's about 220 square miles, a huge range of flowers and animals and plants and all kinds of stuff. But the history goes all the way back. There's been human activity there since the Bronze Age. It then became a royal hunting area under William the Conqueror. Today, it's a national park. 
but it's also the setting of some very exciting events during the 16th century. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the history of it, um, but just to give you a sense of the geography if you're not in England and and don't know. It's just along that south coast, uh, just to the east, I suppose, of Bournemouth, um, that area between Bournemouth and Southampton, stretching up just a bit. So it's a really beautiful part along the coast, a very strategic area. The Romans had settlements and forts there. Um, They had military forts. One of the most important Roman sites in the New Forest is there's a villa at Rockbourne, which was this really beautiful, luxurious residence. It had a heated bathhouse. It had mosaic floors and underfloor heating. You can still go visit it today. And of course, the home's not there anymore, but you can see sort of the outline of it. During the medieval period, the New Forest became a royal hunting ground. It was declared a royal hunting ground by William the Conqueror in the 11th century. And it was a popular hunting ground for the royal family for many centuries. It was also home to a number of villages and settlements, which were established to help support the needs of the royal court. So, you know, there was there were people that were needed to support all of these hunting and manage the deer population and all of that kind of stuff. So these little villages within the forest started to pop up. During the medieval period, also, the forest had this system of laws that were called forest laws. And they regulated the hunting and the other activities in the forest, the, the wood you could take, for example, to, for heating and how you could um, pasture your animals. And there was a network of officials known as forest keepers. And the forest laws were very harsh and, and very punitive. And so there were conflicts always back and forth between the people who lived in the forest, the forest people, and the people who um, represented the government, the authorities. One of the biggest English history's mystery happened in the New Forest during the medieval period, which was the death of William Rufus. William Rufus was the son of William the Conqueror. He became William II after William the Conqueror died. He was famous for a couple of things. He was, he was pretty um, average, but he apparently tried an unsuccessful invasion of Normandy to take over land his brother had. And he also was famous for very high taxes. So he was not very popular. So on August 2nd, 1100, William Rufus was hunting in the New Forest with a group of nobles and knights. Apparently, he was riding ahead of his party when he was struck by an arrow and killed instantly. The person who fired the arrow, their identity has never been figured out, and the circumstances of his death have been the subject of a lot of controversy. Some have said that it was an accident, others said that it was murder. One theory says that William Rufus was killed by Walter Tyrrell. He was a nobleman who was part of the hunting party. And he had a bad relationship with with William Rufus. He was one of the few people who had a clear shot at the king when he was killed. But there's no conclusive evidence to support the theory. And Tyrrell himself swore up and down that he wasn't part of it. Although, of course, he would. But it's never been proven. Another one theory suggests that his death was the result of divine intervention because he was a tyrant and a sinner, and his death was a punishment from God. This view was popular among some of the religious people at the time, and it might have been used to justify the king's death. Either way, his death marked the end of the Norman dynasty, 
and it paved the way for a new era of English history. His younger brother, Henry, seized the throne, and from there we get the Plantagenets eventually, right? One of the most famous buildings in the forest was Beaulieu Abbey, which was founded in 1204 by King John, who donated land in the new forest to a group of Cistercian monks. The Cistercians were a newer religious order that followed a strict code of poverty and simplicity and manual labor. The abbey was built in this beautiful area. There were beautiful forests and meadows all around it. And the monks built a church and a cloister, dormitory, other buildings, which were all in this sort of simple, austere style. And it was dedicated to the Virgin Mary and quickly became an important center of religious life in the region. The abbey became a major landowner with huge estates and properties throughout southern England. The monks were skilled in agriculture as well as industry, and they established several industries, including the wool trade and assault works. They provided employment for the local people and helped to grow the area economically. Bewley Abbey was also an important center of learning and culture. The monks were skilled in medicine and astronomy and other sciences. They maintained a library that was one of the largest in England. So the abbey was also a popular place for pilgrims to go to pray at the shrine of the Virgin Mary and seek the spiritual guidance of the monks. Jumping ahead a couple of centuries to our time period, Henry VIII was a frequent visitor to the New Forest during his reign. He was known for his love of hunting and falconry, of course, and the forest continued to be an important royal hunting ground during his reign. And he actually started a number of measures to ensure its preservation and protection. He created New Park. This was a large area of land enclosed by a fence, established to serve as a royal hunting ground for the king and his court. The New Park was in the northern part of the New Forest, was home to lots of game, including deer and wild boar. Henry also was involved in the development of a lot of industries we talked about years ago, the iron industry, and um, one of those also was timber for shipbuilding especially. So he undertook a number of measures to ensure a steady supply of wood for both building and for fuel. He established a system of coppicing in the forest, which involved cutting down trees to encourage new growth. He also encouraged the planting of new trees, and he established a number of plantations in the forest. He also encouraged a number of industries, including ironworks and glassworks. That's in addition, of course, to the salt works. Uh, There were shipbuilding and sawmills and timber yards that were in the New Forest. So for being this beautiful open area, there was actually a lot of industry going on as well. Henry, of course, dissolved Bewley Abbey in 1538, along with the other monasteries. The monks were forced to leave the abbey. The property was seized by the crown. It wound up in the hands of Thomas Risley, who became the first Earl of Southampton, and it's that family who still owns the area, who still owns the land today. Much of the property was partitioned off and sold to local landowners who used it for their own purposes. The church was saved from destruction, and it remains one of the most impressive examples of medieval architecture in all of England. You can still go and visit it, and they have exhibitions there. You can tour through it. The church, of course, survived, but the abbey did not. That is still in ruins, but you can still go and walk around. There's a couple of YouTube videos of um, really cool like drone footage and stuff going through the abbey. I'll put those in the show notes. The show notes, let's do englandcast.org 
slash forest. Englandcast.org slash forest will be the show notes. During Edward VI's reign, the New Forest was an important area for hunting and timber production as it had been, but it also started to face a number of challenges, including poaching and encroachment by local farmers and commoners. Edward VI was aware of these challenges, and both he and his sister Mary tried to address them through a series of measures. He introduced a new system of management involving the appointment of a number of officials who were known as verderers who were responsible for the day-to-day management of the forest. They regulated the hunting and the other activities in the forest and were responsible for the maintenance of the forest's boundaries. Edward also created a number of new parks and enclosures in the new forest. They were designed to serve as hunting areas and places for recreation. The most significant was called Whiteheart Chase, which was in the northern part of the forest and again had lots of deer and boar. Edward was also concerned with the conservation of the timber, the natural resources, and he introduced a number of measures to ensure that the forest's timber was harvested sustainably. Now, during Elizabeth's time, smuggling began to rise in importance thanks to new tariffs and potential wars with Catholic countries, and the new forest, given its location, Right across from the Isle of Wight, it was a major hub for smuggling. The long coastline, the proximity to the continent made it ideal for smugglers to bring contraband into England. They would use these small boats to land goods on the beaches of the New Forest and then transport them inland for sale. One of the most common goods that was smuggled into the New Forest was wine. French wine was very much sought after in England, but it had very high import taxes. Smugglers would bring the wine ashore at night and then transport it inland by horse and cart. Other goods would be brandy and tobacco and silks. Smuggling was risky. Smugglers in the New Forest had to be careful to avoid the attention of the authorities, although a lot of the authorities were actually in on it as well. The smugglers would work in groups. They would have a network of lookouts along the coast to warn them of the approaching patrols. They would also use hidden caves and tunnels along the coast to hide their contraband. The authorities in England, the authorities in London at least, were determined to put a stop to the trade. By the time it got to the local authorities, again, a lot of them were involved in it. Not They would kind of overlook things in exchange for money and part of you know a cut of, of the profits. But the government did introduce a number of laws to combat the smuggling, They established the Coast Guard, and there were very harsh penalties on those who were caught smuggling. A couple of the most famous smugglers from the time were the Bucklers. They were well-known smugglers. They particularly were involved in the smuggling of wine. And in 1583, several of the members of the family were arrested for their involvement in a large-scale wine smuggling operation. They were accused of using the forest as a hiding place for their contraband, and of bribing local officials to turn a blind eye. Another one was the Carters. They were another prominent family of smugglers. In 1588, several members of their family were arrested for their role, again, in a large-scale wine smuggling operation. And they were also accused of using violence and intimidation to protect their activities. Another family was the Quicks, a group of smugglers active in the late 16th century. They were arrested, several of them, in 1593 
again for wine smuggling, and they were sentenced to death. And the other last famous family was the Jolliffe brothers, who, again, were active in smuggling wine. And in 1596, they were arrested and sentenced to death, but their sentences were later commuted to transportation to the colonies. Despite all these prominent arrests and all of the harsh penalties, smuggling continued to be a problem in the New Forest because the trade was just simply too profitable for the smugglers to give up, and the risks of being caught were outweighed by the potential rewards. The legacy of smuggling in the New Forest during the Elizabethan period is still visible today. The long coastline and hidden coves are a reminder of the illicit past. They still have the tunnels and everything like that. It also had an impact on the local economy because so many people were in, in the area were involved in the trade or benefited from it in some way. Another issue, of course, that was happening during this period for Elizabeth was the recusant Catholics. And there was a significant Catholic population in the New Forest. Many of the families had remained loyal to the Catholic Church despite the religious changes, and they continued to attend their secret services and provide homes for priests. The forest, of course, was this very vast and remote area with hidden paths and secluded clearings that were ideal for secret meetings and ceremonies. The families who continued to support the Catholic cause were often related by blood or by marriage, and they formed this sort of tight-knit network that helped to sustain the Catholic resistance in the New Forest. They included the Throckmorton family, prominent Catholics in the New Forest, and in 1583, two members of the family, Francis and Thomas Throckmorton, were arrested for their role in the Babington plot. There was also Father Robert Parsons. He was a Jesuit priest who played a significant role in the Catholic resistance in the New Forest, known for his ability to move through the forest undetected. He provided spiritual guidance and support to many of the Catholic families in the region. In 1580, he was captured and imprisoned in the Tower of London, where he remained for several years. All of this made the government suspicious of many in the forest during the rise intentions with Spain, because of course, they were very worried about Catholics in England uprising. So there was a lot of suspicion around families and Catholics in the New Forest. All of this leads to the role that the New Forest played in the Spanish Armada. It was an important role in the defense, because of course, they're on the south coast of England, a key strategic location, and it has a long coastline. So it made it an ideal location for placement of coastal defenses. One of the most important coastal defenses during the Spanish Armada was Hearst Castle. It was built in the 16th century to defend against the threat of invasion, and it played a key role in the defense against the Spanish Armada. It was heavily armed with cannons and other artillery and manned by garrison of soldiers. In addition to Hearst Castle, the New Forest was also home to a number of militia units were made up of local men who'd been trained in the use of weapons and prepared to defend their homes in the event of an invasion. So the Spanish Armada did change the New Forest and its perception of itself from being so separate from national politics. And in later centuries, it would play more of an important role, especially during the English Civil War. And then as the railways came to the New Forest and people from London and from other areas in England could come to the New Forest much more easily than they could before. It became much more integrated into the country and stopped being this sort of separate place. And today, of course, it's a national park, and you can go and visit the New Forest. If you go and visit, I would love to see your pictures. 
I've never been through the New Forest. I mean, I've been to Bournemouth. I spent a lot of time in Bournemouth. So I suppose I must have gone through it on the train, um, but I've never stopped. But the next time I'm in England, I'm going to make a trip to the New Forest and uh, see some of these places that I have fallen in love with thanks to the Edward Rutherford book. Honestly, if you want to read a sweeping epic kind of book, I highly recommend all of his books. But you know, there's only like nine of them. So you really have to like pace yourself. And you can't read them all at once. Also, they're very long. So I'll put some links in the show notes, englandcast.com slash forest. For now, we are going to stop. You can hop into the Tudor Learning Circle, tutorlearningcircle.com to discuss this and all other things Tudor. And remember to learn more into RSVP for the info happy hour informal info session on February 24th. You can go to englandcast.com slash tutorcon to learn more about tutorcon or englandcast.com slash forest to learn more about the show notes and the links and everything like that related to this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I will speak with you again soon. Have a good one. Blown on the wind, a sandful may be sweating. Blown on the wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hote bord in Bauerbrieg, that soul is Samley's on seat. Men's cool maiden of me, fair and friendly.